Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of Ruth. Ruth is a little book in the Old Testament, containing only 85 verses in total. But despite its short length, it contains not only the story of what God did in Ruth's life, but it also points to the beautiful redemption story that God is working in all of our lives. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. So good to be with you. Welcome to Calvary. If, you're, if this is your first time with us, so grateful that you're here. My name is Ryan. I'm the senior pastor uh, here and excited to dive into God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, which I hope that you do, um, if you would open them to Ruth chapter 2, week 2, but it's also chapter 2 in our study in the book of Ruth. And as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt like there was no other explanation for you to be in that situation, for you to be in that place apart from like the moving of God, the hand of God. Like, has there ever been a moment where you're just like, that was a God thing? Maybe you've used the words like, man, I didn't choose my life. My life chose me, right? Like it was kind of like out of my hands, if you will. I think of um, my, this, my, my own story of coming here, becoming senior pastor of this church. Like that was not on my trajectory 15, 16 plus years ago. My wife will tell you, when we met, I was working in radio. I thought, man, my, my future is in radio. Do you guys remember the thing called radio, by the way? You still in your car? Podcasts were not a thing then, right? Podcasts were not, had not been invented. Like, I'm like, dude, radio for life and like all of these things, right? So I worked in radio, worked in Christian radio, and I loved it. I, like every day of the week, I got to hear amazing Bible teachers. I was not going to be a pastor, um, but through that season, the Lord, um, I mean, just listening to guys like Alistair Begg and Chuck Smith and, and uh, J. Vernon McGee and all of these be- wonderful Bible teachers. Ron Mel over in Beaverton when he was serving Jesus and live. I mean, he's still serving Jesus. He's just in heaven with Jesus. But great Bible teachers. And the Lord, I think, you know, looking back, the Lord began there to prepare my heart. I didn't know what he was preparing my heart for, but he began to prepare my heart. My wife would tell me we'd go to a pastor's conference because still involved in the church, right? Um, she's like, man, I really feel like the Lord is, is going to have you be a pastor one day. I'm like, never. Like, I'm never going to do that, right? And so you just kind of fast forward. We moved to Portland, and I take an internship at the church here for two years. And, right, you know, the Lord just starts burning my heart for the church. I'm like, why do I love this place so much? Why do I love the people of God so much? It's because God loves you guys so much, right? And so, like, you know, the Lord's burning my heart. And so I did a two-year internship. Pastor Kevin was around for that one. That was, that was fun. And... Um, <laughs> I go, I go, we moved to Vancouver, Washington. I go on staff at a church where the Lord d- continues to just grow my heart for the church. I continue to grow just my understanding. 10 years ago, I come back on staff here as one of the pastors. Like how incredible is that? And then 10 years later, after that moment, the Lord calls me to be the senior pastor of this church. And I just see, like, I look back at that. I'm like, man, that is just God's hand. I did not, if you told me 15 years ago that I would be, the, I would succeed Doug Snow as the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Southeast, I would have laughed. I would have been like, you're crazy. Like that was not in the cards for me. But now as I look back, I can see God just leading and guiding and directing my life every step of the way. When I thought like, God, do I even have a future? Like, God, would you ever use me? Like God was just, I look back, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. God was graciously navigating me through the course of what we call life. Can you guys relate to that at all? 
Can you guys relate to that when you look back? You don't just chalk things up to like, oh, that's just happenstance events, right? That, oh, that's just, you know, that's just random. But we see these things as div the divine hand of God orchestrating the ups and the downs, the various twists and turns, right? This is what we call the providence of God, the providence of God. Webster, um, Webster's Dictionary defines providence as divine guidance and care. Divine guidance and care. J. Vernon McGee, who I listened to many times on the radio, said this, Providence is the unseen rudder on the ship. Providence is the means by which God directs all things, both animate and inanimate, seen and unseen, good and evil, toward a worthy purpose, which means he must finally, his will must finally prevail. The providence of God. And that is the major theme here in Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to see today God's hand orchestrating certain events to lead two women to redemption. That's the goal. God is always, like J. Vernon McGee says, like his, his providence is always leading us to his perfect will, his will in our lives, his will is going to prevail. God is going to lead both Ruth and Naomi towards his perfect will. And for them, it was redemption. Now, before we jump into chapter two, if you weren't here last week for chapter one, I want to give you a little recap. We began and we saw last week, uh, we were introduced to a family, a family from the tribe of Judah living in Bethlehem. What we're told is that a famine hit Israel. And so this family sold their land. They hit the road and they went to a place called Moab. Now, Moab is not a place where God's people went. If you're, if, you, if you're a child of God, if you're a part of the nation of Israel, you didn't go to Moab, right? There's no believers in Moab. There's no church in Moab. There's no fellowship. There's no God of the Bible in Moab. It is a God-forsaken country and nation. They worshiped Chemosh. They worshiped other detestable gods. That was who they identified with. And this was not where... The children of God should be, but this is where this family goes. And this dad, by the name of Elimelech, remember his name means God is king. He takes his family, his wife, Naomi, his two sons, and they go there to, because of a famine. They go there because they did not want to die of starvation. And what we find is that they end up spending 10 years there. The boys grew up in Moab. Instead of being grown up in the, in the land of God and in Israel, they grew up in Moab. They ended up marrying Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And what we find early on in the story is that Elimelech dies. Elimelech, not just Elimelech, but his two sons, Malon and Chilion, they both die. And what I said last week is this is what happens Okay, if you don't catch anything, just know God's heart for you. This is what happens when you and I start to run towards the world. We start to run towards Moab. We think there's, sa there's salvation there. We think there's safety there. We think there's security there, right? That's where our 401k is, right? That's, the stock market's going up there. Like that, that's, that's Moab. And anytime we run to, to, to Moab to find what only God can provide, death in some sort of fashion is always the result. It's always the result. And so three of these guys, they die. It's a tragic start to the story. And now we're left with three widows. You have mom-in-law, Naomi. You have Ruth and you have Orpah. 
And Naomi at this point, she's no doubt just grieving. She's like, how did I get here? I did not picture my life turning out this way. I have no more sons. I, I have no grandkids. I have no one to provide for me. But then she hears that there's food again in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, remember, means house of bread. The, 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 the famine's over. And Naomi, the, I, I refer to her as the prodigal daughter of the Old Testament. She comes to her senses in chapter one and she says, wait, 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 I don't belong here in Moab. Like I don't belong here. I belong back in Bethlehem. I belong back in the land of God with the people of God. And then she does something interesting and she looks at her two daughters-in-law and she says, but you, but you belong here. But you, like, this is all you guys know, right? Like, your family's here. Like, your, um, all, all that you know, your, your background, your history, you've got friends here, you have grew up here. And so I'm going to leave you guys here in Moab. I'm going back to the house of bread. You guys stay here in the wash bowl, the dumpster in Moab. That's essentially what, how God views Moab. And Orpah, she agrees. She's like, sweet. <laughs> I don't know if she was that excited about it, but you know, she, she agrees, right? She goes back to mom and dad's house. She goes back in chapter one, if you remember, she goes back to the gods of Moab, okay? But Ruth says, no way, no, 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 I'm going with you. Look, chapter one, verse 16 and 17, we find this. But Ruth said to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge your people, Naomi shall be my people and your God, Naomi, will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death departs you and me. And so Naomi stops fighting. Okay, Ruth, come on, like, come on, like join the travel pack, right? They go back to Bethlehem. And when they arrive, we're told that the women of Bethlehem, they see them coming. Like, wow, there's two, there's two ladies coming and they see them from a distance and they're like, is that Naomi? Like, is that Naomi? I mean, 10 years have gone by, right? 10 years will age someone. Like, we're joking kind of as a staff. You know, have you ever seen like a, um, the president, like from day one in office to day like, or year eight in office, they look like they've aged like 25 years, right? It happened to every president. doesn't matter which political party they are. So a lot of our staff has given me a hard time. Like, we can't wait to see what you look like in eight years after leading this church. <laughs> right? But like 10 years have gone on. She doesn't look the same, no doubt, right? We, we said last week, Moab, the world has a, has, is not kind to us, right? It has a tendency to age us. And they look and they say, is that Naomi? Remember, Naomi means pleasant. Is that pleasant? She coming back? It's a prodigal daughter coming back. And Naomi, she says, yes, it's me, but don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And she's making note here that of just God's chastening hand, his loving discipline. And so that's where we left off. They're back in the house of bread. And, and, and so that's where we're, we pick up in here in chapter two. Now Naomi, verse one, had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Let's pause right there. Just like many other people in our story, Boaz also has a name with significant meaning. His name means strength, okay? Write that down, strength or standing in strength. And what we find out is that this is, is not just a, a coincidence name. No, this is a fitting name for this guy. I said last week that the book of Ruth takes place during a very dark day for Israel. It was during the time of the judges. And the tagline for that time period was, 
everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is not a great day for Israel, right? This is not the days of, of Joshua conquering the land and, and, and leading the nation for as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. No, this is everyone just doing whatever the heck that they want. And it led the nation down the road of idolatry and immorality and death. But in this dark time, I want you to notice that you have this man, Boaz, standing in strength. And that's exactly what we find him doing. He, he's a man who remains faithful to the Lord, even when the culture all around them is spiraling spiritually, just out of control, sinking spiritually. But Boaz is a faithful man. He's a godly man. We see that he's a kinsman or a relative. In the Hebrew, it's the word goel. We're going to talk more about that later. But we see that he's a man of great wealth. And you think about this, 10 years prior, right? 10 years prior, Naomi and, and her family, they had the choice to go to Moab, right? Choice, and, it was, and it was a choice in a very hard, difficult season. This was not just a, you know, I'm just casually, I'm cool here in Bethlehem. I wonder what Moab has offered. No, no, no. This was a critical, scary time. I want to be honest about that. Pastor Kevin and I were driving in this morning together and, I, and we were briefly talking about this. And I was just like, dude, you put me in that position. Like, would I go to Moab? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm very practical of a person. Like, it adds up. Like, I have mouths to feed in my family. Like, I, I hate to admit it, but maybe I would. Like, I don't know. Like, I, God forbid I do. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just being honest. And so this was not just a, yeah, life is all great, but I'm going to go out and wander to Moab. No, no, no. This was a bleak season. There was a famine in the land. They had no food. And so what they do is what a lot of people do. God forbid it's us. But instead of running to the Lord in those difficult times, instead of running to pressing into Jesus in those difficult times, they run from Jesus. They run to the world. And so this family, they chose to run to Moab, but they didn't have to. Okay. I want you to note that they did not have to. This was definitely the wrong decision. You know why I said they didn't have to? Because when they came back, you know what they saw? That the people of Bethlehem, they didn't perish. The people of Bethlehem didn't perish. They were still around. God still provided. God still came through. God is always faithful to his people. And in this case, we have Boaz. He didn't run. He didn't go. He stayed in the midst of the famine and God provided for him. And he became a man of great wealth, the Bible says. And I just think, just a side note to this, I'm just thinking about it this morning actually, of how often do we miss out on the provision of God because we're so quick to go to Moab? How often do we just run to the credit card for safety? I can't pay the bill, I'm just gonna pay it on the credit card. Oh, I can't do this, so I'm just gonna, instead of just saying, getting to your knees and saying, God, I know I might've got myself into this mess, but would you be merciful? Would you be gracious? Would you be faithful like you always have? And would you provide? And waiting for him to, to do the miraculous for us, how often do we just easily go to the credit card or easily go to Moab to find what God so desperately wants to provide? So that's just a side note that I was thinking this morning. And we're told, though, from our story that Boaz is a farmer. He owns many fields. He has many employees that work for him. He's a very important man in the community. We're told that he's an older man. In fact, many commentators think that he's closer to age to, um, to Naomi than, she, than he was even to Ruth. 
We know that he's single. We're not sure if he's ever been married or not, but at this time in history, he's single. And spoiler, Boaz, okay, ready for the spoiler, Boaz plays a very, very important role in God's plan of redemption, okay? And this is where we're at in the story. You have Boaz. We, all we know is his character. We don't know what he looked like. Was he handsome? Was he not handsome? Was he like that traditional farmer, right? Like, I don't know. But we know his character, okay? We know his character. We know who he is. And I like to think of Boaz, and I want you to see this. Boaz in this story is a little H hero, okay? He is the hero. He's a little H hero. And I say this on purpose because when we read through the Bible, and it's so important because how many like kids books, uh, Bibles that do we grow up with that always like put yourself into the story and you become the hero and all of those things, that is faulty theology. That is not God's plan. God's plan is to get your eyes off of you and to put it on him. He's the hero. So all throughout the scripture, we read and we discover that Jesus is the hero of the story. From Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. He's the capital H hero. But what we do see, though, what we see when we read through the Old Testament is that we see figures. We see these shadows, people that that represent these shadows of who Jesus is. And that's what Boaz is in our story. We're going to see Boaz is a picture of Jesus. So that's Boaz. If Boaz is Jesus, though, let me say this. I think Ruth for us is a picture of the church. I think Ruth is a picture of you and I who are desperate in need of God's grace. They're poor, destitute. They've, Ruth has been in the world her whole life. Maybe that's your story. Naomi and Ruth are at this place. They're sitting alone and they're figuring out how are we going to survive here? You ever been there? You ever feel that in life? How are we? We have no money. We have no husbands. We have no provision, no jobs. They have nothing. Look at verse two in Ruth. Though Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So Ruth asked Naomi for permission to go and to glean. And now, if you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, gleaning was essentially Israel's welfare system. It was, a, it, was a, it was a plan and a system that God had established to care for the, the least of these, right? To care for those who were down and out on their luck, those who could not provide. Um, God set up this plan for them. Now, I don't know if you guys are reading through the one-year Bible, but it's very crazy that we're, we landed in Leviticus 19 this morning when we were reading, and that is where we find this welfare plan. So Leviticus 19, verse 9, it says, now this is God's heart. This is in the law. This is the instruction for harvest season. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land. You shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So God tells all the farmers, like, listen, like the land really belongs to me, right? The land belongs to me. It's mine. I've provided all of this for you. And so when you go out to harvest your crops, know that they're really my crops, <laughs> okay? These, are, these really belong to me, but don't harvest them bare. That's God's heart. Don't harvest them bare. If, if you happen to drop something, leave it down. Don't harvest the corners of the field. Like, just leave it. Don't pick it up. And what we see is this age-old truth, and I don't know if you've heard it this way, but that God blesses us to be a blessing. Have you ever heard it? 
that God blesses us to be a blessing. He doesn't bless us to be hoarders, to keep all of the blessing to ourselves, but to, 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 out of our abundance, bless others. And so this was God's plan. This wasn't man's plan. This was God's plan. As long as the poor and the needy were willing to work for it, God would take care of them. Deuteronomy chapter 24 says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, and you, go, uh, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. God is telling them, remember where you came from. Remember where I found you. You were in bondage. You were in slavery, right? And I was gracious to you. Extend that grace to others. It's essentially what the Lord is saying, especially to the poor and to the fatherless and to the widow and the, and the sojourner, the foreigner, we, we would say. Listen, God loves and has a heart for the most vulnerable. He does. That is his heart. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. Pure and undefiled religion, James tells us, before God, inside of God is this, to care for widows and orphans in their need. That's God's heart, not our heart, it's God's heart. And so we see that here. And so God's plan is an amazing plan. Ruth desperately needed this. Her and Naomi were in desperate need. Verse three, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now here's where we're going to see the providence of God begin to work. Did you notice, I want you to notice that phrase, she happened to come. Do you guys see that? You know, how often do we say, if we're honest, like, oh, it just so happens. Fill in the blank, right? Oh, or she got lucky, right, for this or that. But listen, when someone is following the Lord, things just don't happen. I've always said that there's no, with God, there's no coincidence, okay? There's either God's sovereignty or there's not, right? There's either God's providence or there's not. And the two are different, and we can explain that at a different time. But when someone is walking with Jesus, things just don't happen, but God is moving the rudder of the ship, and Proverbs tells us that. Proverbs 16, 9, you should have this memorized, right? The mind of the man makes his plans, right? But the Lord directs or the Lord establishes his steps. And you see, Ruth, she thinks that she's going out to find some random field at some random person who's gonna maybe let her glean. And she, but she doesn't, right? What does she do? She happens to find, to find the field of this man, Boaz, right? And Boaz happens to be a great guy, right? Boaz happens to be a great boss. He happens to be wealthy, right? He happens to be um, compassionate, right? Oh, and he just so happens to be a relative. Listen, these things just don't happen. This is clearly the providential hand of God leading this woman who is down and out to the exact place that he wants her to be. Why? So that he can meet her right there so that he can provide for her, so that he could redeem her. And what we don't see in this moment is some huge miracle. 
We don't see the handwriting in the clouds, right, that says, hey, Ruth, go to that field, like blinking, like, you know, like neon lights, like blinking, like that field over there, you know? We don't see that here. And how often do we, that's all we're looking for in life. When we're looking for God to lead us and to guide us, we're only looking for the huge sign in the clouds that say, do this, don't do that, take this job, move here, don't move here, right? And, and we miss because we're so fixated on the big and the miraculous and, the, and God does speak, by the way, in those ways. I wish he spoke, spoke more to me in those ways. But like, he does do that. But how often do we miss all of the ways that God is desiring to speak in the everyday mundane seasons in our lives? The mundane. That's where you find the Lord, church. That's where you find it. Right way, I, I mentioned this in first service. Like, there's a book from, from Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. Anyone read it? Yeah, show of hands. Okay, about... Five of you. But it's a, great, it's a great little read. I have probably three copies in my office. I'll read it. I'll, I'll let you read it. I'll let you borrow it. Great read. What you find is this guy's just sharing his life, and he's just so in tune to the Lord, whether he's just doing daily tasks like dishwashing, just so in tune to the Lord, just conversational with the Lord. And I just think, man, if Brother Lawrence was only expecting to hear from God, like in the thunder and the wind and all of these things, like he would have missed hearing from Jesus. But he realized that, no, 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 Jesus can speak to me washing dishes. Jesus can speak to me driving my car, right? Jesus wants to speak to me. You know, the Bible tells us that God is involved in our lives. Not he wants to be, not I hope he is. No, he is involved. Psalm 139 says he's acquainted with all of our ways, right? He knows your good days. He knows your bad days. He knows where you're at right now. All of those things. That's the most um, amazing thing I think about the Lord is that he knows us and he sees where we're at. But listen, if we don't stop to slow down our lives and to pay attention, we will miss it. And I think of that a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I, I shared a personal message out of 1 Kings 19 about Elijah. And this was the exact same thing. Elijah was, was miserable. He was depressed. He was running for his life. He was so desperate to hear from God. And so God's like, okay, I'll meet you, Elijah. And oh, boom, the earthquake happens. Elijah's like, is that God? Is that God? Is that God? Oh, boom, the fire, big raging fire happens. Is that God? Is that God? And God says, Elijah, I'm not in those things. I'm not in those things. Where am I at? And then it was after the fire that the Bible says there was a sound of a gentle whisper in church. It was in the sound of a, that still small voice. That's when God spoke. That's when God spoke. In the, in the mundane, everyday seasons in our lives, in the still small voice. And so God's hand here, he's directing Ruth. He's leading her to this right place. She ends up in the field of Boaz, right? It says in verse four, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. See, so just a good relationship as a boss, employee, employer relationship. But I love this, that just so happens, I'm gonna use that term again, just so happens, right? Boaz chooses this field on this day at this time when Ruth just so happens to be there gleaning. Verse five, then Boaz said to his servants, who was, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Like, so he sees her. And I don't know if it was out of character. I don't know, maybe she looked like a Moabite woman. I don't know. Um, but he, he notices her, right? Verse six, he gets his answer. And the servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. 
Thus she came and has remained here from morning until now, and she has been sitting in the house for a little while. And so the, the supervisor, if you will, on the job, um, Boaz comes to him. He's like, hey, who's, who's this woman? And so he begins to describe, oh, that's, that's Ruth. Like she's, she's from Moab. Remember, she came over with Naomi. And, and she be, he begins to describe her. She's like, she's, she, you know, she came to me in the morning. She asked permission. I gave her permission. Very lovely lady. She's actually a hard worker, right? She's been here from morning all the way till noon. It's almost lunchtime. We're going to see that. And then Boaz said to Ruth in, in verse 8, listen carefully, my daughter. So he turns the attention back to her more. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. And so here, here we see that God is just blessing Ruth. Like there's no other way to say it. Like this is providential care leading her to this field. Boaz takes an interest in her. Boaz knew, knew that if she stayed in this field, she would be blessed. He says, he says to her, like, stay here. Like, don't wander off. Like, don't go into another field. Keep your eyes. Like, don't, don't, don't start looking around for other fields and better. Like, no, stay here because you're safe here. He tells her, you'll find companionship here, right? In other women. You'll find protection here with my servants. You're, you'll find refreshment here, Ruth, from the water that's provided for you. In essence, he's saying, I believe, Ruth, I'm here to provide for you, to care for you. And, and look at Ruth's response in verse 10. He says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Now, I don't know if, she, if Ruth is feeling insecure, maybe about her past, I don't know if she's like, oh man, like I don't belong here. All of those insecurities may be popping up, but she's surprised nonetheless of, of this generosity, of this kindness of Boaz, verse 11. And then Boaz replied to her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. And what we see is that Ruth, she has this great reputation in the community already. Boaz says, like, I've heard your story. Like, it's gone around. Like, this is the good kind of story, right? Like, like that goes around. Like, this is, I've heard about all the amazing things. It's been fully reported to me. In other words, like, I've heard what you've done, Ruth. Like, I've heard about you, you left Chemosh. Like, you left the wash bowl. You left the dumpster of Moab. Like, I've heard that. Like, I want to commend you for your new faith. Like you left your mom and your dad to pursue the, 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 the God of the Bible, the God of, the God of Israel. You've put your faith in the Lord. But even more than that, Boaz says, I've heard about your wonderful care, your love for your mother-in-law, Naomi. I've heard about this. And I just want to, I want to do something for you. I, that's what I see coming out of these pages. I'm, I want to be gracious to you. He says in verse 12, may the Lord reward your work. And your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Boaz is just, he's praying just God's blessing, God's protection, God's favor in her life. And he, and he just likens this refuge. I love this, being under the wings of God, like, like a mother hen caring for those underneath. Psalm 91 just makes me think of Psalm 91. Whoever dwells, this is the NIV, by the way, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Refuge, being that close to the Lord. And Boaz is like, I'm praying that over you, Ruth. I'm praying that over you. Verse 13, then he said, I have found, then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. I just want you to note something. When she says, you've spoken kindly to me, that word is heart in Hebrew. Like more than like, Boaz, like, I'm so grateful that you met my, my physical needs and like you're caring for me and like your provision outwardly and external, like you've spoken to my heart. Like, I love that. Like you've cared for, you've ministered to me. Verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers and, and, and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. I love this. Boaz is caring for her. She's eating with him. She probably no doubt doesn't deserve to be at that table, but she's there. She's satisfied. She has left some food left over which is incredible, but I want you to notice this. I want you to notice what it says here. It says that he served her. Did you catch that? He served her. Now, I'm not sure like, what the totem pole looked like in, in Boaz Enterprises, right? I'm not sure what the org chart looked like and like who was at the, the top versus the bottom, but I'll guarantee you this, Boaz was at the top. This was his field. This was his livelihood. This was his business that he started probably from the ground up. And if anyone doesn't need to be serving, it's Boaz, right? If anyone deserved and had the, the honor and the respect to just chill out, just have like the grapes dropped in your mouth and like the palm branches like waved at you and like, you're just like, oh, it's been a hard day getting out of bed or whatever. Like it was Boaz. But here we see that he serves, Boaz taking this from this high position and he lowers himself to serve those working in his field and he serves um, Ruth and he serves the other reapers as well. And he is putting on this, this display of the heart and the nature of God himself. Verse 15, when she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. She's getting up from the table, like back to work. Like I gotta, I gotta provide all these things. And so he looks at his, his servants. He says, hey, I want you guys to actually, I want you to let her glean in the middle of the field, in the sheaves, right? Then the sheaves, they were already bundled together. Guys, this was the, the cash crop. This was the bounty. This was his income for the whole year. And he says, let her take from it. Don't insult her. Don't give her a hard time. In other words, I want you to give her the best portion of the crop. The this, is, this is the grace that she's experiencing. 
over and beyond. You see, you see, she was entitled to like the outside of the field, right? The corners of the field. And in, and in that time, the corners of any field would have been the most wind blown, kind of like the worst crops of the field. And so as, as Boaz is allowing her to glean, like that's nice and all, but here he's allowing her to glean, not just on the corners, right? Not just the bad crops, but to glean into the middle, to, to have access to, to the best portion of the crop. He goes over and beyond to care for her. And, and, and what Boaz is essentially saying is like, I'm like, I'm bound by the law for sure. We just read that in Leviticus, right? I'm bound by the law. This was God's heart to take care of this woman who is down and out on her luck to let her glean um, in my fields. But I'm not motivated by the law. I'm not motivated by the law. The reason I'm doing this is not because I have to. It's because I want to. I saw the need and, and I've been blessed to be a blessing and I want to care for her. I'm going to go over and beyond what the law requires because early in the day, he's already satisfied the requirements of the law, right? He's already done his good deed, but now he's doing it because he loves the Lord and he cares for this woman. Church, he's demonstrating self-sacrifice. He's losing precious income that was rightfully his. To use New Testament lingo to describe what Boaz is doing here, it's a picture of Jesus, by the way. In Ephesians chapter two, verse four, it says, but God being rich in mercy. Highlight that. Not short on mercy today. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins made us alive together with Christ. I think of 2 Corinthians 8 9, when Paul would write, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. That's incredible grace and kindness that God extends to us. Amen? And so it was love that motivated God to move towards us but it was also the love of God that is motivating Boaz to move towards Ruth here in our story. Look at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Now that's about six gallons, if you will. So if you think of like, she's coming home back to, back to Naomi and she's like, she's got like a five gallon jug over here and a one gallon jug over here of like cereal grain or whatever she's eat, they're eating. And um, somewhere in between, like the neighborhood between like 30 and 50 pounds that she collected in this day, literally borders on too much to carry. Some commentators say, said that this much barley represents two weeks income and she got it in one day. And this amount of food would have been able to sustain several people for an extended period of time. Again, this is all the generosity and kindness of Boaz that he showed towards Ruth. Aren't you glad that she just so happened to find him? <laughs> Look at verse 18. She took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. So she literally brings him like a doggy bag, if you will, from the restaurant. Like, here's my leftovers. Like, I ate, I got full. You should, you should enjoy some of my lunch. It was really good. Verse 19, her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. Pause there for a second. She asked two times in this one verse. I want you to note this. Where did you work? Where did you work? Where did you work? And where did you glean? Where did you glean? So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, continuing on, 
the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. I, want, I don't want you to miss this. And I don't want to read too much into it, but I don't want you to miss this because I think it's fascinating. No, Naomi here, she asked where and she got a who. Did you guys see that? She asked where, where did you glean? Where did, where did, what field, where, like, where, where did you go today? Where did you, where did you find all of this amazing like food that's going to last us for, for weeks on end? And they, or Ruth points her to a person, points her to a person. She says, it's Boaz. Naomi was just looking for an answer, quick answer. Like, hey, where did you go? And Naomi was like, no, it's not where, it's who. It's who I met. Look at verse 20. We see Ruth learning who she just so happened to run into. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, this man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. So as Naomi, she's recognizing um, that through Boaz's generosity, it's really, she's saying, this is really actually the kindness of the Lord towards us. That word kindness in, in Hebrew is hesed, okay? That is the loving kindness of the Lord. That's what she's recognizing, this, this act of Boaz, right? That's why he's a little H hero, right? She's recognizing the big H, H hero in the story. She's like, this is the loving kindness of the Lord. And she says, man, God has not, like, I'm, I don't know why she's surprised with this, but God has not withdrawn his grace from me, his love from me. And right now, for the first time in this book, Naomi is experiencing not just the sovereignty of God, but the goodness of God. Isn't that amazing when we, when we experience the, the goodness of God? Sometimes you see his hand, he's leading, you're like, okay. But like when you see the, the loving kindness of the Lord and here she, she's moved to worship again. She's moved back to this, the, this, this place of just saying, man, Lord, like I recognize you. Thank you, bless you. Like all of these amazing things. Mara, bitter. She's coming out. And this just reminds me of what Paul would write in Romans, when he says, this is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. This is what we're seeing here in Ruth chapter two. The kindness of the Lord is moving her back to himself. God is lovingly and graciously providing for them. And Naomi's heart just begins to open up. Praise God. Like, this is what we've been praying for. But here's what we find out is that Boaz, Naomi says, wait, wait, wait. He's, he's our close relative. Like there's more to the story than just like, provision here for the day. There's more going on here. He's a kinsman. He's a potential goel. And this is why it's important because last week we briefly talked about the Leverite law, right? That's when, that's when if you died as a guy and you um, didn't, you're married and you didn't have offspring, you didn't have someone to carry on the family name, your brother would step in and take up the mantle and, and marry your wife. And, and they would try to have kids together and you know, all of that. So um, they would carry on the family name. But there was another law. There was another law that stated that if, if a man who did not have a brother who could take his wife, and this is where the law for the kinsman redeemer would step in. That is, if you got maybe yourself in some sort of jam even, maybe you're financially upside down, you're on the, the brink of bankruptcy and you couldn't run to the bank and get a loan in that day, right? You can't just go to the credit card and, and pay later, right? So you had one of two options. You could sell your land, make some cash, maybe pay off a debtor. You could sell it, which was super high shame. Um, you, were in, you inherited that land. That stayed in your family name. So if you had to sell it, that was not option number one. But then the second option is even worse. Is like, instead of selling your land, or maybe you didn't have land to sell, you would sell yourself into slavery. 
You would sell yourself in, in order just to get fed and be taken care of. And the job of the kinsman redeemer was to redeem those two things, property and people. That was the job of the kinsman redeemer. And so if you got yourself into this type of situation, you needed a kinsman redeemer. You were desperate for this close relative, someone to redeem what you could not redeem. Someone who could step in because of their financial like, situation was better than yours, right? Their character and because of their heart to buy back what the new owner had of you, whether it was you or your land. If you were a slave, they would pay your tab, if you will, to free you. And that person, again, was called the Goel, the, the kinsman redeemer. Now, here's the thing that we know is that Boaz is able, or at least according to the law, in the line of people that can do this. But what we don't know, is he willing to do this? You see, there was, there was caveats, there was clauses in, in the Old Testament that you could abandon your duties, very shameful, like you didn't want to, but you could, right? You could sleep at night and justify your behavior, right? Uh, so this wasn't guaranteed. Being a kinsman redeemer also wasn't easy. It was costly, this costed resources and money and effort and sweat equity, all of these things to do what is required of the kinsman redeemer. So at this point of the story, we don't know. Is Boaz going to fulfill that role? Look at verse 21. And then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, furthermore, like I'm not done. This is good news. Keeps on coming. Furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. In other words, I get to come back tomorrow, Naomi. Like I get to go back. In fact, all, until all the harvest is finished, that would be another six to seven weeks. Six to seven weeks from barley all the way to wheat harvest. Verse 22. And Naomi said to, said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Church, this is a beautiful story of redemption. Here, here's what Boaz is, is doing in a sense. I, I want you to see this is if Ruth continues on this trajectory, if Ruth um, goes out for the next six to seven weeks and gleans, she would have enough provision in that period to almost care for her and, uh, and Naomi for about a year. About a year. And then, guess what? Next year, it's harvest season again. <laughs> and she gets to go and do it again. And in a way, what we find here is that he's taking care of her financially, meeting her needs. Did she earn it? No. She deserve it? No. It was the loving kindness of God through Boaz, the, the little H hero, caring for her. The providential hand of God leading Ruth to security. And man, how many times would we miss out on that if we just keep running to Moab? Now, as we close this morning, as we think about what God is doing so far in this story, there's a couple of things that I, I, I want to just draw to our attention very quickly. And that's what I talked about at the, the very beginning of this. And that is that we are in so many ways, Ruth. If we're honest, we are, you and I are a picture of the broke and destitute, the poor. We're spiritually in her situation. 
We have nothing left. We have nothing to offer. We have nothing to appease like the kindness of God and to get his favorite. No, no. But we have all, all we have is the grace of God that has been offered to us. His incredible kindness. Church, we have been given his hesed, the loving kindness of the Lord towards us. And like Ruth, though, in our lives, we often come to crossroads, these forks in the road where you and I are called to make a choice, to choose. Are we going to abandon our old gods? Are we going to abandon Chemosh? Are we going to abandon the, the securities and safeties of this world? And are we going to choose to follow this gracious, loving, tender-hearted God? And not just follow him, I want you to note this, but also surrender control to him in every area of our lives and allow him to lead us by his providential hand. Are we gonna trust that he can do for us what we cannot do on our own? That's the reality. If you feel like you can earn God's favor this morning and you're a good person and you can get into the gates on your own up in heaven and, just, and God's gonna just be fine with you, you are mistaken. Listen, you need a redeemer. You need to be redeemed. And Boaz in our story is a picture of Jesus. I think of, of Charles Spurgeon, famous, famous Bible preacher. He refers to Jesus as our glorious Boaz. Our glorious Boaz. And I, I think he couldn't be more correct. He's the one who heard the plight of Ruth. He heard the plight of Naomi. And he's the one who stepped in. As, and as Boaz says to Ruth, hey, stay close to me, right? You stay close to me. I will care for your needs. Don't, don't look to Moab. Don't look to the other fields. Stay close to me and you will be cared for. You will be provided for. So too, church. Jesus says to us this morning, stay close to me. Draw near to me. Remain in me. Come underneath the shadow of my wings and you will find all that you need. You will find the safety. You will find the security. You will find the provision. You will find refreshment for your souls. As Boaz uses his strength to save just this down and out woman from famine, I want you to note that Jesus, he uses his strength not just to save two ladies in Bethlehem, but to save the whole entire world. Jesus is the greater Boaz. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And what Boaz did in this picture is, Josh, you wanna come up and, and just start leading us in worship. What Boaz did in this picture of Ruth was to show us what it looks like to come under control, like to surrender control, I should say, to come underneath and to trust in the one who can redeem us and pull us out of the pit that we so desperately need to be pulled out of. That's what we see in Boaz. And this morning, this is my prayer for each and every one of us, is that could we see Jesus as our glorious Boaz, our great redeemer. Thanks for listening to this week's teaching. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times and location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccscportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. 
Join us next week as we continue in our study together.